0: Welcome back. Let's Get Physical Therapy is an educational podcast brought to you by MedStar Health and hosted by me, physical therapist Becca Schumer. I will be sharing the mic with tons of healthcare professionals with the goal of educating and inspiring fellow PTs and future PTs. We hope you find this both informative and inspirational, ultimately, optimizing how we treat our patients and grow as professionals. Please enjoy today's episode. continue on with our concussion series, today I'm going to host Dr. Della Sabera, who is a member of the MedStar Rehabilitation Network's medical team and the sports medicine specialist at the MedStar's Lafayette Center in Washington, D.C. She has been a key participant in the development of standardized protocols and guidelines for the MedStar Health Sports Medicine Concussion Program to ensure uniformity across our system. In addition, she is an attending physician in the MedStar Georgetown University Hospital Emergency Department and serves on Georgetown University's medical school faculty. Dr. Della Sabera received her medical degree from Stanford University in 2008 and completed her residency in emergency medicine at MedStar Washington Hospital Center and MedStar Georgetown University Hospitals Combined Program in 2011. She then completed her sports medicine fellowship in 2012 from VCU. She is a team physician for the Washington Capitals and Marymount University. She has been named top doctors by Northern Virginia Magazine and The Washingtonian. I was grateful to have this conversation with Dr. Delisabera. We covered a lot about concussions in a short period of time. So buckle up and let's bring her on. Dr. Delisabera, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. How's it going today?
1: All's good. All's good. Good,
0: Good. I am excited to host you. Once again, we're doing this concussion series. We have all sorts of professionals coming on to talk about this subject. But first, we always like to hear our guest's story. How did you get into the field of medicine?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I can tell you a little bit of how, about how I got into medicine and then why sports medicine too. Um, medicine, I think it was a combo of the fact that I always loved math and science as a kid and and loved solving puzzles. And so medicine felt like the ultimate way to kind of put science and puzzles together. So you're, you're kind of solving the puzzle of what's wrong with the patient and what to do. So um, that combined with kind of loving to be around people, talk to people. I felt like it was better to solve the puzzle in front of the patient than, you know, bench science or research. And so it was that combo of things that kind of drove me into clinical medicine. Um, As far as sports, um, I was a college athlete myself, had plenty of injuries, also had concussions in soccer, um, as well as a bike accident. And so the combo of my own injuries and, and wanting to make sure I got athletes back to to sports as safely as possible, but wanting to keep healthy people um, active was my goal. So that was the reason for sports
0: medicine. It's Kind of funny, we had like the opposite reaction. I've had a lot of concussions too, and I have like no desire to treat them, whereas you went towards them. So that's kind of funny.
1: Yeah, to each their own, I guess, right? yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little about concussions. Like, how common are they And athletes? We're going to probably focus more on sports today, but how common common are concussions?
1: Yeah. Um, so it depends on the sport, right? And actually, most concussions happen outside of sports. Um, most common cause of a concussion in pediatrics is is um, bike accidents, actually. And in adults, it can be just falls or car accidents and various things. So sports aren't necessarily the number one driver of concussions, but then. As far as frequency of concussion, obviously there's certain sports that are more common to see concussions. Football obviously comes to mind for everybody, but soccer for females is usually the most common sport if you look at a given high school or college as far as percent of concussions, still really small. So if you have a team of twenty kids, maybe only two will have a concussion in a given season um but but you know it really varies based on sport. Um, but like I said, most common cause of concussion overall in the pediatric population is actually riding your bike and not even playing sports so you know, when when parents are always asking me for advice on, is it OK for my kid to play sports? I worry about concussions. I said, we, we don't really worry about them crossing the street, riding a bike or getting in a car. Um, So it's all about the education piece. And then I know we'll probably talk about how many concussions is too many and things like that. Um, But it's really individualized and there's not like a one size fits all rule for any of that.
0: What exactly happens when someone sustains a concussion? What happens at the cellular level? What happens inside the brain?
1: Yeah, so I like to tell patients, it's not a macroscopic problem. It's not a big problem where I can take a picture of your brain and see it in a picture. Even some of the best MRIs, the brain looks normal. It's a microscopic problem that happens at the level of the cell. So the the brain cells called the neuron. And so if you were to dissect those cells and look under a microscope, you'd see that their equilibrium of electrolytes and energy has changed. So it's a microscopic cellular energy problem and not a macroscopic big problem. If it were like a bleed or a bruise, and a lot of people think a concussion is a bruise, then that's actually a bigger problem and we'd see it on traditional pictures. It's just happening at the level of the cell. And so it's an energy crisis and a loss of a typical equilibrium at a cellular level that you only see really at the microscope level.
0: So given concussions are, you can't look at someone to know they have a concussion for the most part. What conversations are you having with the athlete and the parent inside your office with regards to like how fast they can get back to sport or if they're like, yeah, if they're trying to like push the envelope a little bit and want to get back as soon as possible versus like, you know, you tear ACL, you kind of have a time frame. Yeah. So how do you guide them with that process?
1: Yeah. So um, there's not perfect timelines that are really consistent in concussion like there are for a fracture or an ACL. And that's really hard for patients and parents and physicians to manage. I tend to give them high level stats Um, And so I'll tell them about 50 percent of athletes and some of this is in military studies, too, but about 50 percent of athletes or military participants in research are back to normal duties at about a month. Um, You know, it's a bell shaped curve. So there's people that are on one side of that bell shaped curve and other people that are on the other. But it's extremely rare that people aren't better at three months. Three months is kind of the delineation of post-concussive syndrome versus concussion. And so the, a lot of the research is focused on that. But research shows 90 to 99% of people are back doing normal daily living and or sports or activities by three months and 50% by 30 days. Um, so that gives them high-level stats. Obviously, that's a huge range. Um, and we talk about how every concussion is different. And so you know we really have to individualize the timeline and the treatment Based on that individual,
0: yeah. And with post-concussive syndrome, when does that come into play? And are you able to sort of predict who might transition into that? Like is it I've had so many concussions, and as they I have more and more, they get worse. When does yeah. that kind of come into play?
1: So the the ICD-10 diagnosis of post-concussive syndrome is three months. ICD-10 is like our diagnostic criteria in medicine. It's like the dictionary of diagnoses, um, and so that's technically the the definition. In order to Think about when I'm seeing someone in the office for the first time, maybe early on, who's going to be in that post concussive over three month phase where they're still not feeling good and back to normal duties or back to sports. There's a few things. One is how many concussions they've had, because if they've had multiple concussions and each of those concussions is getting longer um, and longer as far as the recovery, then this one's probably going to be longer. And so you can use each concussion to try to predict the next one and probably add a little bit of time. Um, The the second thing would be if they have certain underlying conditions, which in research studies, when we look back at that group that's in the over three-month period, we look at what did they have underlying minus multiple concussions that could have predicted that. It's things like ADD, ADHD, depression, anxiety, migraine, headaches, even things like motion sickness or history of vertigo, things that maybe make your equilibrium feel off. Those, Those all tend to be predictors of maybe a more prolonged recovery. Um, females last a little longer than males. Um, so there's certain, um, you know, gender aspects to it, but it's, it's a small difference and then extremes of age, um, you know, tend to be a little worse. I mean, as we get older, we just don't heal quite as fast. Um, and it's a little harder to take time off work, uh, compared to breaks from school. So that may contribute as well. So those are the things that factor into, you know, counseling people on recovery.
0: you're, Saying earlier, it's a microscopic issue and often imaging doesn't show it, but conversation I hear parents talking on the sideline and they want their kid to have an MRI right away. What is your conversation with them and like, what's your threshold for ordering imaging?
1: So there's two types of imaging of the brain, right? There's um, CT and there's MRI. We decide on CT pretty immediately based on if you have certain criteria that we think that you have a more serious injury or we feel like we need to rule that out. Um, So if we think you have a bleed or we think you have a bruise or we think you have a skull fracture, and some of that's based on your exam, your mechanism of injury, if you're vomiting, if you have a prolonged loss of consciousness, there's certain things that help us predict that you might have something worse than concussion. And so then we would get a CT more immediately to rule that out. If someone's seeing me in the office, and this is two weeks later, I would probably only get an MRI, one, if their clinical symptoms are really worsening over time significantly, Two, if they should have gotten a CT at the time of the injury and they didn't, um, because then the thing that I wanted to rule out was never ruled out. Um, Or three, if they have symptoms that are lasting more than that three-month period. So if they go into that post-concussive syndrome category, I tend to get an MRI. And it's not because I think we missed something initially. It's usually because maybe they have something underlying congenital or such. That would predispose them to have that prolonged recovery. So, as an example, if your brain hangs lower in your skull, it's called a Chiari malformation. You might not have known you had that, but now you have worse symptoms, and then we find that on the MRI. So now I say, okay, this is why this makes sense, and it points me in the direction of the why. Not necessarily changing management, but it points me in the direction of the why.
0: What are some other diagnostic criteria used to diagnose a concussion aside from obviously mechanism of injury? But what else might they present within your office? Yeah, so obviously you have to
1: have an injury to have a concussion. So you can't just come in and have headaches and fogginess and no mechanism, no injury, and think you have a concussion. There's a lot of things that can cause headaches and fogginess, like lack of sleep or medications, various things. Um, So injury is key. Um, But then injury with symptoms, right? So and the symptoms are over 30 we there's a laundry list over 90 percent of people have headaches but not everybody so some people think you have to have headaches to have a concussion um but there's cognitive symptoms there's visual symptoms there's balance equilibrium vestibular symptoms there's there's mood related symptoms and sleep and so you kind of go through the laundry list of symptoms that are possible that plus the mechanism of injury if you have symptoms plus you thinking nothing else could be contributing to this so do I think that they have some sort of cervical injury, a neck injury that's causing cervicogenic headaches and, and maybe some balance issues? It's not their brain, it's their neck. Well, then I have an alternative diagnosis for the cause of their symptoms. Um, but so no alternative diagnosis identified plus symptoms plus an injury equals concussion.
0: And then you send them our way.
1: And then we send them your way. Exactly.
0: <laughs> I spoke with the PT. We did not really get into autonomic dysregulation. Can you tell me a little bit about more of what that is and how that presents?
1: Yeah, so the the a brain injury can damage the autonomic nervous system. So that's the sympathetic fight or flight and the parasympathetic, like calm down. That's Those are those two systems that's the autonomic. What happens when you get that damage of that autonomic nervous system from a concussion is you tend to get sympathetic dominance. You tend to get fight or flight dominance. So people can be have a little bit increased heart rate. They can feel sweaty. They can feel jittery. Um, they can feel dizzy. Um, and so they they get a misbalance of that autonomic, you know, fight or flight, calm down um, balance that normally our brain is handling on its own. Um, and that can lead to a lot of other symptoms. And so we we tend to do heart rates and blood pressures. We do it in various positions. We listen to obviously their history and how they're feeling to decide, do they have some autonomic dysfunction component to their brain injury? Not everybody has that, but but some people do.
0: There's a lot of providers that make up the team when someone has a concussion. There are a lot of people that can join the team and help the person get back to doing whatever they love to do. When do you refer to physical therapy specifically with a patient?
1: Yeah, almost always the physical therapy. That's almost a knee-jerk reaction to me unless they're coming to me with zero symptoms a normal exam and they're really just trying to get a return to learn or return to sport plan. Even if it's just that and they're trying to go to a high level sport, um, I may refer to PT for that return to play management, but some of them have athletic trainers that could do that. Um, But I think PT helps with so many different symptoms and so many different parts of the recovery. So we know exercise is really important for the recovery from concussion, and so it helps with that exercise heart rate protocol to get them back to exercise in a safe way. the, think about the brain like a, a balloon on a string. So every time you jostle the balloon, you jostle the string. And so the neck is often involved. And so treating the neck is an important part of physical therapy. And then there's, of course, the autonomic dysfunction that PT can help with, the vestibular dysfunction, some of the eye symptoms, et cetera. So it's super rare that I'm not referring to PT because I don't see a downside. I only see
0: an upside. And then who are the other game players?
1: Yeah. So there's specific vision therapists or OTs. Um, I tend to not refer to them right away unless I see a significant convergence tracking visual issue on exam. If that's mild, I think PT can help with that. But if the symptoms are predominant, visual and the exam is really um, significant, I might send a vision therapy early. Um, The the next one would be speech therapy, which really I tell my patients is like cognitive therapy. Um, So it helps them with not just memory, but also with just being able to multitask and plan. Um, When your brain kind of feels jostled, you just need help reorganizing it. So they help with that. Um, Neuropsych um, I refer to, and I refer to speech and neuropsych often hand in hand. Speech is easier to get into. um, And so I use that when people have prolonged cognitive symptoms, but then I refer to neuropsych as well. Neuropsych can do some more thorough in-depth testing down the road and speech therapy can kind of augment what that testing showed. Um, In addition, for kids, neuropsych can really help with the return to learn plan and really work with the schools if there's significant cognitive deficits or issues they see on their testing. Beyond that, uh, you know, it's kind of one-offs. I'd say those are the big categories. Sometimes we send to ENT because we think there's an inner ear issue. I mean, there's lots of, sometimes we send to physiatry for injections because there's more of a cervical issue. Sometimes we send to neuro because headaches are the biggest issue and neuro manages some of the chronic headaches and I need help with medication management for their headaches. Um, So there's some physician specialties we use as needed. But I'd say neuropsych, speech, vision, and physical therapy are the most
0: common. And there was a recent meeting in Europe, correct, like consortium for a concussion? Yes. Were any big changes from the previous one to this one?
1: Yeah, I'd say the biggest things was there's just more in-depth tools for physicians or providers to use in the office to help follow their concussions and to um, collect more objective data and do a little bit better exam. In addition, there's better sideline tools that are more thorough now as well. So it was it was a lot of great additional tools that came out from those meetings. Um, a lot of the other stuff was just re-emphasis on what we know, but emphasizing the importance like early exercise and physical therapy and things like that.
0: You kind of brushed on the return to play protocol, that stepwise approach. Can you dig into that a little more and what that usually looks like time-wise? For Obviously, it depends on the athlete and sport yeah. they're returning to, and there's there a lot of variables, but generally... What does that look like? It's a stepwise
1: progression. Um, step one is rest. Um, step two is when we start kind of the low intensity cardio with with heart rate parameters. Um, and then we gradually increase to a little bit more non-contact sports specific things, higher heart rate, more movement as well until you finally get to a contact environment. Obviously, that needs another position clearance to get to that point. And then you start thinking about um, contact practices and then games after that. You know, technically, you could get through it in six steps and do one step per day. Um, I tend to spread it out more than that. I feel like we're not, we're never, you know, it's rare we're in a huge rush. And I tend to have the return to play progression mimic the length of time of symptoms. So I start back to the cardio early on and even into step three, which is some of the, the non contact drills, because that keeps athletes happy as long as they don't become too symptomatic. But when you think about getting into the higher steps, I usually really space that out based on how long they had symptoms. So if you were symptomatic for three or four weeks, well, maybe our return to play progression is going to mirror that in last three to four weeks. If you only were symptomatic for a week and had a fully normal exam, you're fully back in school with no issues, maybe your return to play progression can be a week, and you've already done some of step two during that first week. So again, it's very individualized, and each concussion is different.
0: The psychological piece, how do you help an athlete who Wants to push. They're a pusher. They go to the extreme. They think more is better. And they think they can make this go faster. If they try harder, how do you educate someone on that end of the spectrum? Yeah. As far as once again, can't see it.
1: Right. Yeah, I always tell them it's kind of an investment in your future, right? So if you go back too fast, you could be the person that was only going to be out for three weeks, but is now out for three to six months. Um and so you know, just I try to compare it to if you had a stress fracture, you might not be able to see it and it might only hurt for a week. But if you were to start running on that or playing on that, you could turn a stress fracture into a full fracture that might need surgery or need a cast and be out for three months. Think about a concussion the same way. You might not be able to feel it or see it anymore. But if we go back too soon and that microscopic damage isn't fully back to normal, then the concussion was only going to last three weeks. You're now having three months of symptoms and maybe out of sport in school for longer. So we kind of just talk about that investment in the future piece.
0: And you started talking about this earlier, but how many concussions is too many?
1: Yeah, that's that's a tricky question. Um, There's no I wish in some ways it'd be nice if it was just there was an answer of three, but there's no answer like that. Um, We tend to look at is each concussion getting worse than the first? And is there any in any sense that people aren't fully recovering from that first concussion to the second? So in other words, I have an athlete that had a concussion and they got back to sport at two and a half weeks, but They've had really kind of more chronic headaches since then, even though they were, quote, cleared and they felt fine. Now they're needing Advil twice a week for headaches they didn't used to have. Or now they have migraines and they didn't used to have those. Or their grades never, like, fully went back to normal. Maybe they've had some cognitive changes since that first or second concussion. So there wasn't a full return to baseline. um, And or each concussion is significantly getting worse than the last one. So the first one was three weeks, the next one's three months, and the last one was a year that's a really big escalation pattern that I worry about. So those are the two, two of the things that come to mind.
0: Any other big things with regards to concussion that you find it important or to educate PTs, hopefully PTs, PT students listen to this. So any other knowledge bombs you want to drop on us with regards to concussion that we haven't covered yet?
1: Um, I think PTs do a fantastic job. The one thing I'd say is is that I, I really love when PTs are, are communicating with their physician regularly. Um concussions are so individualized and they're so unique and there's there's so much you guys get to see them so much more frequently than we do. So if you have two touch points a week and I get one touch point every three weeks, like your knowledge is valuable. And while we get reports and things scanned in, like the actual direct communication is super helpful for you to paint a picture of how they're doing. And sometimes you pick up on more of a psychological issue or a mental health problem that I might not pick up on in my 20 minute visit in the office. So that just uh, color that you can paint to the patient in between is super helpful.
0: Yeah. And do you prefer email? Do you like them to call you? Do you have a preference on that communication either,
1: line? Either way, whatever's best for the therapist
0: is fine for me. Awesome. So I appreciate digging into your brain about concussions. Of course. Went super fast, but that's OK. We covered a lot of good stuff. Yeah, we like to end our episodes with favorite quotes or best advice you've ever been given. Doesn't have to be medical related; it can be anything.
1: Yeah, I so this is a quote that I learned in the last year, and I and I like and I use with my teams, to my my uh, physician and PA and NP teams. And this is the the Duke women's basketball coach. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen her video, but she talks about it will never get easier; just handle hard better. Um, and, and I think of that with my athletes, I think of that with my patients, I think of that with myself, um, you know, sometimes we're always just waiting for, Oh, it'll get easier next month. It'll get easier next year. Um, the reality is it never gets easier, but we just need to tackle, you know, pull the bull by the horns and tackle hard better. Um, And so I I love that phrase. And if you haven't seen her video and her speech to her team, I I think everyone should watch it.
0: It makes me think of the like lifting heavy, like the weight doesn't get lighter, you just get stronger. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Where can people find you? Where are you treating out of?
1: Yeah, so I treat out of Lafayette now. I used to be Lafayette and McLean. Now I'm just Lafayette. Um, So I'm in the sports ortho group there and happy to see patients anytime.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem, Rebecca. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Let's Get Physical Therapy podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at PT. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can reach more listeners just like you. As always, we appreciate your time and hope you join us for our next episode.